Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that in this time, that as we turn to your word, that you would instruct us and correct us and train us for righteousness. And Lord, that as we dig into this word that can be difficult, would you keep in the forefront of our minds these truths that we've just sang of all that you have done for us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned what feels like quite some time ago now, we are again in this passage that we first looked at last week, feeling the need for, for more time in it, um, looking at this idea that to follow Christ means to take up our cross and follow him, that we must deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow Jesus. And it's odd to identify as someone who willingly suffers, but even as I say that, I realize that I'm preaching to a room filled with Cubs and Vikings and even a few Husker fans, all who willingly suffer. But we don't often equate being a Christian with suffering and without the ability to go into time to flesh it out, I would just want to say that the New Testament does equate suffering with being a Christian. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to pick on him, but I think one of the reasons we don't often equate those two things together is um, teaching that, that has been really helpful, but, but maybe not as complete as it could have been on what it means to be a Christian, namely the, our identity in Christ. See, about 30 years ago, a man named Neil T. Anderson did, put out a bunch of really honestly helpful material on what it means to be a Christian by uh, highlighting several verses in Scripture on who we are in Christ, that we are a new creation in Christ, and that new creation has a new identity, and here's what that new identity is. And this is material that's been really helpful for me in my walk, really helpful for me in my ministry as I've helped try to help others understand that being a new creation has a lot of connotations, that you are the salt of the earth, you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, you are free from condemnation, you are a co-heir with Christ. These are truths that we need to uphold but the interesting thing about that material is, as we reflect on it through a New Testament lens is there's very little, if any at all, in there on suffering. There's no, I am someone whose faith is developed in e with eternal gains through trials and tribulation. That's not in the material. Another thing that's not in the material is I am, in Christ, a cross-bearer. It's not in there. And I would argue that it needs to be. And without viewing ourselves as Christians as cross-bearers, we have an incomplete understanding of our identity in Christ. Before we, we get into what we typically have as an outline, let me read the passage and I'll explain what I mean. Start at Mark 8. You can turn there on your phone or in your Bible, depending on how much you love trees. 
And let's read starting in verse 34. And Jesus calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, this crowd, namely his disciples who are, who are wrestling with the idea that our Messiah would ever suffer and die. And he says, if anyone would come after me, you think it's bad that the Messiah is going to suffer and die. I'm telling you this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life Whoever would cling to the treasures of this world will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and for the gospels, whoever would say, whatever this world has to offer, I will just put it away and follow wholly after Christ for the sake of the gospel, suffering much, potentially dying, he will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain a whole, the whole world yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory with his Father and, the whole, and with the holy angels. This is so contrary to our thinking and it is absolutely essential that we view ourselves as crossbearers. And as we approach this passage, as we get ready to sit under it and, and hold it up as an authority in our lives, as the word of God, we need to realize that to, to call ourselves a crossbearer is not only radically countercultural because it necessitates laying down our sense of self, and this sense of self is so important with today's culture. Here's who I am, here's, here's everything about me, and we project out our self-perceived identity, whether it's actually true or not. To identify as a cross-cultural, as, as, a, as, a, as a cross-bearer, is to say, I'm gonna deny that self and I'm gonna follow Jesus. And indeed, there is no way for us to say, under this text, there's no way for me to say, I am a follower of Christ, but I do not carry my cross. Do you see how Jesus leaves no room in there for that exception? We're not able to, uh, to come in and put in uh, my comfort clause into following Jesus. Um, you hear us talk a lot about uh, Radius International from time to time. The founder of it, Brad Buser, when he gives his testimony, he talks about how he was this pot-smoking surfer who went to hear this youth pastor who lived out of a trailer, and the youth pastor would give an invitation to the gospel, and, and he, would, he said, week after week, I wanted to give my life to the gospel because heaven sounded pretty great, but he would always say, just know that the day you give your life to Jesus, your life ends. And Jesus becomes the one in control of your life, that you lay yourself down and you take up your cross. And so often what we win them with is what we win them to, and there are so many times in our culture that we win people with eternal life in heaven that costs you nothing on earth, when indeed Jesus says, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross to follow him. And that if we seek to save our life, we will lose it. We cannot gain the world and walk with Jesus. So what does it mean that we are cross bearers? Well, being a follower of Jesus means that we become in action and identity cross bearers and cross bearers use the cross on their sin. And this is part of what it means that I'm going to deny myself. This isn't just a denial of self. This is a denial of self-improvement 
when it comes to dealing with our sin, when it comes to dealing with our selfish and, and, and fleshly desires. Now let me explain this because we have in our culture this gospel of self-improvement that if you read the right books and get the right coaches and work hard enough and have all the right reminders on our phone that you can achieve what you've been going for. And that may work for six-pack abs, but it does not work for sanctification. It does not work for dealing with our sin. And the gospel of self-improvement is this idea that with all those things, I can achieve this. And the gospel of self-improvement puts you at the middle saying that you have the power to invoke change and that if change doesn't come, then you've done it wrong. And so when we apply that to six-pack abs, we're like, yeah, I have the power to do sit-ups, but I also have donuts. And we can wrestle that out. But, and, and it and it can be problematic. But when we try that to our sin, and we say, you know what, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, I can develop self-control on my own, then we end up just beating ourselves up over and over again while never seeing growth. And we only, then we add to the shame of our sin the shame that we can't do it. And so we need to deny that part of ourself. We need to deny that I can handle my sin on my own. I am good enough. I am smart enough. I am in control of my life. I am the one who knows what's best for me. We need to deny ourselves all of that and cling to the cross. Cling to the cross that says my sin is one heck of a big deal. It's so big of a deal that the Son of God had to come down as a child, live a sinless life, be rejected, and suffer a horrific death, hung on the cross to slowly die over the course of hours while the wrath of God was poured on him so that on that cross he could experience what I would have experienced in hell, which is separation from God. That's how big of a deal my sin is. And so I need to go to the cross. I need to take up my cross, admit my sin, acknowledge my sin, and I need to treat my, my sin with the cross. I need to treat my sin with the truth of the cross, which in Colossians 2, if you give me just a moment to find it, says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, this open rebellion against God, saying, it's my way, not your way, O king of heaven. It, you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with Christ, him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, and here comes in taking up our cross, but he set our sin aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. And so when I treat my sin with the cross, I'm not saying, well, I'll just try harder tomorrow. I got caught, I feel ashamed, I'll try harder tomorrow. I got caught, I feel ashamed, I'll try harder tomorrow. I don't say that. Instead, I say, my sin has been nailed to this cross that I cling to. My sin has been nailed to it. The, the legal consequences of it have been dealt with in Christ so that I can have freedom. And all these things that I'm so deeply ashamed of are not nailed to the cross in public for my shame, but for the shame of Satan who would want to use them against me, who would want to accuse me in the presence of God. But we know from Revelation that our victory comes by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen? 
So when we cling to the cross, we cling to the fact that our sins have been dealt with, that we can live in the forgiveness of sin as we studied, for those of you who were here in our series leading up to Easter, that because of Christ's blood, our sin is not just covered over, but it is completely gone, washed away, removed from us. And Romans 8, that if, if we have forgiveness in Christ, there's no condemnation. If the Lord has forgiven us, who is there to condemn us? And so, dealing, using the cross on our sin means we don't just admit that we've done something wrong. We don't just say, oh, I did something wrong, I got caught, I'm sorry. I did something wrong, I got caught, I'm sorry. That's called just admitting you've done something wrong. Repentance is I'm walking in sin, here's the cross, I need to deal with it, so I'm gonna turn from my sin and go. This is the pattern set up through all of scripture that you would repent and turn. That we would see the glory and the beauty that we are united with Christ in his death in the cross and through the resurrection that happened three days later, we're united with him in his life and that's where we're gonna get in just a minute. And so we die to our sin. That in the words of John Owen, that we get busy killing sin or it will be busy killing us. For you Puritan purists, I know I butchered that line a little bit, but please forgive me as they would. And so our life in dealing with our sin because we've taken up our cross as cross bearers means that we repent and we turn. We remove the influence of sin. We work to remove the opportunities of sin. We surround ourselves with people who are going to point us to truth and grace, calling us to repentance and, and showing us the forgiveness that God has. We repent, we, we, we remove, we turn, and then when necessary, we repeat and we trust that as we're doing that, that it is God working in us to change our taste, to change our hearts so that sin loses its sweetness over time and becomes the bitter thing in our palate that it always should have been. We let the Lord change us, not a life coach, not a workout app, not ourselves, but the Lord himself would change us. So cross bearers, we use the cross on our sin, and as cross bearers, we seek the heavenly reward as greater than. That the heavenly reward is greater than. And what is it greater than? Just fill in the blank and know that the heavenly reward is greater than that. What does it, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. There are so many times where I hear people and I've heard myself say, well, if I follow Jesus in this, then I'm gonna miss out. On what? What will we miss out on for following Jesus? Will we miss out on our dreams? Will we miss out on our ambitions? Will we miss out on our fleshly desires? You know, as we grow and mature, it's naturally that we develop a little more refined taste. That's why, like, when you were an infant, you loved that pureed pumpkin. And now if you had it, you'd be like, this is, this is pretty gross. I can't believe we still feed this to children. I, when I was in high school, I loved music. I still like a good 90s playlist, but I do not think any longer that Creed is the pinnacle of rock music. And perhaps more shameful, in, in the 90s, the, 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 the greatest culinary experience that I ever had in the 90s was Taco Bell. <laughs> I, 
I didn't realize the glory of real tacos and real tortas and, that, and what a proper gordita actually was. As a believer, as you grow over time, we have growth, and sometimes it's gradual and slow, and it feels like it's not happening, and sometimes there's a major growth spurt in our spiritual life where we feel this, we see that the eternal gain is infinitely more profitable than what this world says is profitable. I just gotta tell you, I have, I've heard, I don't know how many testimonies I've heard over my life of how people have come to know Christ and their life before Christ and their life once Christ has entered in. I haven't heard a single one of them that be like, you know what, I really wish I would have waited one more week to come to Jesus. I really wish I had had one more wild spring break before Christ. He really cut my fun short. I've never heard that. And I think it's impossible for me to ever hear that from a genuine believer. For someone who's really seen the treasure of Christ, instead we can look back and say, for those of us who, you know, whenever it is that we got saved, we're like, oh, I'm so glad God saved me then. And I think of all that he prevented me from going into that I would have regretted. And so we are told, lay down yourself. Carry up the cross. Lay down what you and your flesh think is great and willingly take on what Jesus' contemporaries heard as the worst execution device of all time. Willingly take up this idea that I'm going to suffer for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And I want to put before you today that laying down the pleasure of the flesh for the joy of the soul is an all-out win. That if we view this correctly through the eyes of faith, it will not be self-deprivation, but rather self-indulgence. As John Piper would say, that we should become Christian hedonists. Who, who crave and fill ourselves at every turn with the joy of Christ, knowing that it is infinitely greater than anything the, the joy of the world could put before us. Paul in Philippians 3, when listing out all the things he's accomplished in his flesh, all these things that look like a great spiritual resume, he says it's all rubbish. Indeed, the Greek word is a bit stronger than that and maybe offensive to a few in here. It is rubbish, it's garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. And Paul in Ephesians prays that we would know the hope to which we have been called and the glorious inheritance of the saints. And I pray that indeed we would know that. And when we know that, when we live life with this knowledge of the glorious inheritance of the saints, you know what happens to that cross? it gets a lot lighter. And we're able to say, you know what, I'm suffering. I'm missing out on what the world has to offer. But they, until they hear the message of Christ, are missing out on what heaven has to offer. I'm not missing out on anything. What the world has to offer, I've seen where that ends. 
Let taking up our cross be a natural reaction to seeing the glories of heaven, to knowing the fruit of the gospel, to knowing that, that this ends in a city that has no need for a son because God himself is light. Has really, it'll be the first city ever with no place of worship because he himself is our temple. And there's a tree there, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And after everything we've been through in this world, all the brokenness and the tears are flowing in heaven, what happens is God himself, as our Father, wipes the tears from our eyes. And we're in a place where there's no more pain, and no more suffering, and no more death. And you're going to tell me that something in this world is going to surpass that? Where people from every ethne will be gathered in perfect unity? And this world has something better to offer than that? I laugh at you. Taking up our cross, being cross bearers, is in faith leaving what our flesh has known for what God has told us is to come, believing that he always keeps his word. Cross bearers seek the heavenly reward as greater than and crossbearers have a new and full life. We lay down the temporary to pick up the eternal. We, I would argue, I've heard others argue, are not losing ourselves in Christ, but we are gaining a better self. C.S. Lewis says this, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. And so we lay down the eternal, we lay down the temporary, pick up the eternal. We boast in the cross, as Paul did. And this isn't some sort of weird flex that we come in with, but it, we just come in and say, I, through the cross of Christ, I'm going to boast in this because by it I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. It unites us with Christ, as Paul says, Galatians 2.20, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As we've been reading Mark, as we've been studying Mark, we come to the cross and we pick it up, because through that cross, he's living in us. What in your life is better than this? To say that the Son of God would be living in me. We need to renew our minds and let our minds be on Christ first and foremost. Let no other facet of an earthly identity cloud your identity in Christ, that you are a cross-bearer child of God. Let no other earthly identity cloud that so that when you look at whoever you are, 
You start as a cross-bearer child of God who happens to be a dad, who happens to be uh, whatever your job title is, who happens to be a child, a student, a friend, that we would view every angle and facet of our lives as one whose hands are full of the cross, not able to pick up other allegiances, that we would view our relationships and our future, that we would evaluate risk while holding a cross, that we would look at retirement and finances or, or, or whatever the solutions are to the world or our enemies, that as we look at an enemy, we're not able to point fingers because our hands are full carrying a cross, hoping that they will come to carry one as well. That is the solution. This is being a cross-bearer. And as good as all this sounds, we do need to realize that it is a cross. It was intended for someone to be nailed to for public shame and slowly suffocate on. That was the intention. And our flesh is still very strong. And we have this indistinguishable call that to follow Jesus is to take up our cross and ultimately be willing to go where he went. Henry now in contrasts taking up your cross with the dog-eat-dog world of the marketplace. And he says for the Christian, and he's speaking in that book specifically to Christian leaders, our call is a, not an upward mobility that ends in a corner house office, but a downward mobility that ends on the cross. And we have saints like William Carey who did great frontier work for the gospel and have an undeniably great heavenly reward but they also have great earthly pain, burying several family members and enduring horrible illnesses for the sake of Christ and the sake of the gospel. But this passage, this is not just for missionaries. It is for all of us. And we have brothers and sisters around, in Christ around the world who are being brutally beaten sometimes in prison, sometimes by family members, ostracized from their family for the sake of Christ, they take up their cross. And taking up our cross is not a requirement to be saved. It's not a work we can do to earn salvation, but it just comes with salvation. As Jesus told the disciples in the upper room, if the world hates me, they will hate you also you will gain much more than you can imagine by taking up your cross and suffering for the sake of Christ. You will gain a fuller life, a heavenly reward, but you will encounter hardships. And so how do we do this? How do we take up a cross? How could we ever, knowing what the cross represents, knowing that it may mean us moving our family to a country in a language we don't speak, knowing it may mean that we're interrogated by police, knowing it may mean we will become friends 
very close with people who suffer and die for Christ or that we ourselves may suffer and die for Christ or lose our reputation at work or be rejected by our own families or neighbors for the sake of Christ. How do we do this? And I would say we do it in the same exact way Jesus did. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus knew the glories to come. Jesus knew that one day he wouldn't be on a cross, but he'd be on a throne. He knew that one day he would cut down the enemy with the sword of his mouth. He knew that one day he'd be in a city with all God's people from all time. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And may we, for the joy that is greater than, fill in the blank that we would not scorn the cross, but that we would gladly carry it as cross bearers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We, and we ask for your help. We thank you, God, that you never gave us the promise that following you would just be super easy and feel like an all-inclusive resort. Lord, you are, you are kind enough to be very honest with us in what it means to follow you. Lord, we pray that you would give us the endurance and we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in prison around the world, who are having to smuggle Bibles in and out of their homes, who at, who at any moment could get found out as a follower of Christ and die for it. We pray that you would glorify yourself in them. We pray that you would encourage their heart. And we pray that you would remind them that they would know the hope before them that is waiting all saints in glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.